great. Thanks, Josh. Well, good afternoon, Redeemer family. It's great to be with you again. I'm going to open my Bible to where I need to be. Well, as Josh said, I'm Matt. I do serve as one of the pastors here. It's a great honor uh, to be able to do that and to serve you guys. And from time to time, I get to jump up here and open the word. And so I'm eager to do that with you all today. Um, uh, Before we jump in, uh, Jeff, this feels a little hot. It's really echoey, just to let you know. Um, Before we dig in, I want to just pray for us and we can get started. Uh, Lord, we just want to pause and uh, recognize that your word brings us good news today. Your word brings us life-giving news. And today we want to sit humbly underneath your word. God, we pray that your word would move swiftly from our ears to our hearts and that we would be transformed to be more like Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let me read our text today. As Josh mentioned, we are, uh, this is the closing sermon, the last sermon in 1 Thessalonians. So the text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I will start reading in verse 23 through the end of the chapter. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 23. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with the holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So, uh, just a few weeks ago, I made a crazy decision and started uh, to train to run a half marathon. I don't understand why someone would run 13.1 miles for no reason, but I've chosen to do that, and so I'm trying to do that. And now, this is not something I'm, this is not something to brag about. I'm not naturally a runner. Uh, I, I don't have a runner's build. I'm flat-footed, and I'm pretty slow. So it's not very impressive. Uh, but I'm trying to get ready to run this race. Uh, it's a lot of, lot of hard work, and uh, my goal, just honestly, is just to run the race and finish it. Uh, I don't have any, anything else in mind other than that. But as I have this race in view coming up in, in the end of November... It is a daily struggle for me to believe that I will actually be able to do it. I I second-guess myself constantly. I wake up each day, and I'm like, oh, i got to run how many miles today? You're really going to do this, Matt? Are you sure? Do you have the discipline to, to do this? The truth is, I'm riddled with insecurity and lack of confidence in this the truth is if i'm going to make it to the finish line i'm the one who has to make it happen 
It's, it's on me. No one else is going to run the race for me. The burden falls on me to see myself to the end. And I wonder, as we think about our growth in holiness, our progress in sanctification, I wonder if we functionally think the same way I do about this silly race. Running the Christian race of the Christian life. Running the race of the Christian life is challenging. But I wonder if we are filled with doubt and uncertainty, wondering if we're going to make it at all. As we consider our progress and holiness, the danger of having a it's all on me mentality, it can either inflate us with pride or drive us into fearful uncertainty. The finish line doesn't feel like a sure thing. You know what the Bible says. Christian, you are to grow in grace. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But you know growth happens so slowly. Almost too slowly. As you wonder if it's happening at all. You take one step forward only to take two steps back. You wonder if you're going to lose your grip on the Lord. You know you don't have the discipline to hang on tightly. Tight enough to make it to the end of the Christian life. Getting to the end, it feels like a coin toss. A 50-50 chance. Well, in our text today, we are given the assurance from God that we so desperately need as we think about growing in holiness and reaching the end of our race. In this prayer of blessing, this is Paul's closing prayer to the Thessalonian church. In this prayer of blessing, in verses 23 and 24, the Apostle Paul is not telling us what to do. He's giving us, he's telling us, and he's assuring us of what God will do for us. Paul wants the Thessalonian believers, and us to lift our eyes. Lift our eyes to see that our growth in the Christian life, our progress in sanctification, becoming more holy, ultimately does not depend on your ability to make that happen. In our text, we are given a bedrock hope and assurance of reaching the end. And no matter how well you seek to obey God's commands. And church, obedience is absolutely essential. It's vital. It's indispensable. But no matter how well you seek to obey God's commands, you will never be the hero of your sanctification story. You could never be. God is the hero. So no matter how deep your disappointment goes because you know your own sluggish heart so well or how frustrating it is because of what seems to be an impossibility to make strides in the Christian life. I want you to receive the assurance offered to us in God's word today. 
God promises to sanctify you through and through and present you as blameless at the last day. You see, I don't, I don't have a promise from God that I'm going to cross the finish line of this silly foot race. I don't. I don't have a promise that I will finish that race successfully. But I do have a promise from God that I will reach the finish line of finally being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. With crossing the finish line on that foot race, the best I can say is, I hopefully will do it. With assurance of my complete and total salvation, what truly matters, God says he surely will do it. And that's the promise we have today. So, here's where we're going. Kind of the big idea. We can have full assurance of our complete salvation because God is faithful to his promises. We can have full assurance of our complete salvation because God is faithful to his promises. We're going to see assurance of holiness Today, of growing in holiness today, assurance of being kept holy until the last day, and ultimately the assurance in our God's faithfulness. Uh, and just a quick note this sermon is basically on verses 23 and 24, okay? I don't want to skip over 25 through 28 as if they're not there, uh, but. I just didn't know how to include that into the benediction. So uh, the fruit of my inexperience. So, But we're going to go for it. I will make some comments on verses 25 through 28. So thus far in our study of the book, first, uh, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, we have seen what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We have seen what it practically looks like to follow Jesus. And in chapter 5, starting in verse 12, you'll take your eyes up back to verse 12, you see Paul gives us what I would refer to as the fireworks finale of imperatives. In these 11 verses from 12 through 22, Paul gives us 17 do's and do nots. Paul urges the Thessalonian believers to admonish the idol. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Don't repay anyone for evil. Do good to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Take a breath. These commands and exhortations are absolutely essential for us. They are life-giving to us. These are meant to help us be faithful in our walk with Jesus. These commands are holy and righteous and good. But we get to verse 23, and Paul makes a pretty dramatic pivot away from imperatives, do and do not do, to a wonderful, glorious indicative. He's pointing us again to what God has done and what God will do. He's leading the Thessalonian church to an assurance of their complete and full 
salvation. So point number one, we have assurance of growing in holiness today. We have assurance of growing in holiness today. The first part of verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Paul is drawing us, our attention, back to who the God of peace and what this God will do, namely sanctify us through and through, all the way to full completion. God does not outsource this work of of sanctifying his people. He takes it on himself. He is all in on bringing transformation to his people. And this prayer echoes the same prayer Paul prays when he writes to the church in Philippi. Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What an assurance to know that there is someone who is fully committed to you becoming more and more holy. If, if it were left up to me to get that job done, that would be reason for despair. God takes it upon himself. God says he will sanctify us completely. He will sanctify us completely because he is completely committed to finishing the work that he began in us. Now, what exactly does it mean to be sanctified, right? It's a sanctification. It's this big word. I've said it like 20 times already, so you may be wondering, what, what's that mean? It's a big word, but I like how Sinclair Ferguson describes sanctification. I can borrow this from Sinclair. Sanctification, he says, is the work which God does to separate his people from what they were by nature in sin and to transform them so that their lives reflect his being and character. In sanctification, God is doing nothing less than changing you from what you were to what he means you to be, making you more and more like himself. I love that. I love that. We need to substitute that brief definition. When we come across passages in Scripture that call for holiness, and we are called to holiness, we need to say, God wants me to be more like Him. We want to be more and more like God. Growing in holiness today is becoming more and more of who we were made to be. So if that's what sanctification is, how does God sanctify us? So this is a big question. I'm out of my depth even asking it. And in just a few minutes, though, I'd like to try to give you how God sanctifies us. How does he do it in the life of a believer? Well, it's not just one way. It's not just one way. And I love uh, what author and counselor David Paulson says about this. He he kind of shines the light on five ways, maybe five factors of how God changes people. Now, these overlap a lot 
and they're all kind of interrelated in some ways. And God is the one who is upholding it all. He empowers everything. But how do people change? The first one he says is God himself changes us. Well, yes, that's exactly what's in our text. God changes us. He is directly involved in your life, changing you. Starting from taking you from the kingdom of darkness and placing you into the kingdom of light. He opens blind eyes to see. He softens hardened hearts. Through the power of the Spirit, He makes us receptive when we are initially closed off. This is most foundational of all. God Himself changes you. The second way Dr. Paulson the second he, uh, factor he gives us is the word of truth changes us. In a world that's filled with false voices, we have God's word, scripture, the word of truth to guide us, help us, give us life. Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That's what Scripture does. Romans 15, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Scripture clarifies every part of the human experience. So the word of truth changes us. Thirdly, the wise people change us. God uses people. I'm so glad that I have people in my life, dear friends, to help me and to encourage me and to correct me when I'm off track. To point me back to the finished work of Jesus to remind me of who I am in him. I'm so grateful to have a church community where that is the rule and not the exception. I'm so grateful for this church. That's so common. So God uses people to change you. God uses suffering. God uses suffering to change us. God does deep work in and through suffering because Suffering catches our attention. Troubles make us need him. Faith becomes real. The struggles we face awaken our sense of desperation and need. And God does really good work in the fertile soil of the soul. And lastly, the fifth says, Dr. Paulson says, you yourself change. I didn't say you change yourself, but you change. Remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. We have the Holy Spirit, and we are active in our growth and becoming more holy. And we are responsible for turning to God. We, we confess, and, and we repent, and we trust, and we believe we ask God for grace and we pray. We obey God's commands. We keep going. So you yourself change. Every one of these are part of God's gracious initiative to complete what he 
began in us. So we have assurance of holiness, of growing and walking in holiness today. Secondly, we have assurance of holiness on that day. We have an assurance of being presented as holy on the last day. Verse 23 again, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, I want you to know verse 23 is really just one prayer. It's it's, it's one promise uh, that Paul is praying for the Thessalonian believers um, and it has kind of like 23A, 23B, a little bit of structure there. And it's, it, it has a stair-step effect. It's all kind of flowing in the same direction and leading us in the same direction. And he's arguing for one main idea, and that, and that idea is the believer's salvation will be brought to full completion. So maybe a helpful way to kind of read it would be this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, as to present your whole person, your whole spirit and soul and body as blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. God will sanctify you so completely that your entire person, every part of you, will be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is speaking to the totality of the person, okay? I don't think we need to read too much in to what Paul, he's, I don't think he's advocating for a three-part uh, person, a trichotomy. I think what he's after is just the totality, the whole person. This person, uh, yeah, the, the whole person. Just remember what Jesus, how Jesus said back in Mark 12, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I think it's similar speaking to the whole person, both material and immaterial, both soul and body. This is getting to the totality of who we are, every part of us. This isn't just that your spiritual side will be sanctified, but this applies to your physical body as well, the whole person. What God has begun in eternity past in your election and calling will be brought to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The Thessalonian believers were awaiting the return of Jesus, and we today are still awaiting the return of Jesus. And now, as we look to the last day, whether that is when Jesus returns, or we go home to be with the Lord through death, we will all arrive on the last day and hear the verdict. If you are in Christ, that verdict will be blameless blameless now i want i want to return to that verdict of blameless that declaration of blameless uh, on the last day in just a few minutes let me continue on we'll come back to that i'm going to continue on here we see assurance of growth and holiness today we see sorry we see an assurance of being presented holy on the last day. And finally, in verse 24, we see assurance in our faithful 
God. Assurance in our faithful God. Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul grounds everything in this. All of this is because God is faithful. It's grounded in the very character of who God is. God's faithfulness. Completing your race. It doesn't ultimately depend on your faithfulness in obeying God's commands. But his faithfulness in keeping you. Now, does God call us to obey, require obedience? Yes, he does. But that is not what's going to keep you to the last day. God's faithfulness commits him to sanctifying you. His faithfulness commits him to sanctifying you. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. Verse 24, he who calls you, now what has God called every believer to? It's everywhere in the New Testament. What has God called every one of his children to? To holiness. To holiness. Back in chapter 4, verse 7 of 1 Thessalonians, you have not been called to impurity, brothers, but in holiness. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now, what is the it, right? What is the it? That is the full completion of your sanctification. God says that he is the one who will act. He is the one who will bring it about. He is the one who will do it. Now, when I read all this beautiful prayer, this beautiful prayer of blessing that magnifies God's ability and God's commitment to his people to sanctify them fully and bring them to the last day as blameless. I just ask this question, how is this possible? Now, we know nothing is impossible with God. Thank you, Mary Jane, for encouraging us already with that. Nothing is impossible with God. He is all-powerful, all-sufficient, sovereign Lord of all. But what he is promising to do here is to take broken people who have deep struggle with sin and change them, conform them into the image of his son and then present them as blameless before him. How does God do that? How can God do that? The answer that scripture gives is unbelievable. God is able to do this because, brother and sister, you are united to Jesus Christ through faith. God is able to do this because you have been united to Jesus Christ through faith. Literally, we could read dozens and dozens of passages on our union with Christ. It's, it is the, it, it, I will say, it is the central uh, navigation center of the New Testament. Every blessing flows from our union with Christ. I want to just read two passages. 1 Corinthians one thirty. 
And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Because you are in him. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life is hidden in Jesus. You have been united to Christ. His death is your death. His resurrection is your resurrection. His sinless perfection is now your sinless perfection. I could go on and on and on. Your life as it was before, has ceased to be. And a new life has started in its place, hidden in Christ, hidden in Jesus. It is because we are united to Christ that we will be brought to that last day, kept as holy, blameless. What an amazing God we have. So in verses 23 and 24, we've been given assurance that growth in holiness today is possible because God is committed to our holiness. He's committed to sanctifying us. We've been given assurance that we will be completely holy on the last day. And we ultimately have assurance in our faithful God who promises to do this. Now, I just want to offer maybe two ways to kind of take this home in our hearts. Take this home in our hearts. This is all about what God has done. It's all about what God will do. But I think there's something for us to do here. I hope, application maybe point number one, I hope this assurance that we have produces joy and zeal in your heart for the ongoing work of sanctification that God is doing in you right now. I hope that it leads to joy and zeal rather than apathy and carelessness. As soon as we take our hands off the plow, as it were, and we just sit back and say, well, God says he's going to sanctify me, so I don't really have to do anything. We're in major danger, major danger. We begin, if that's our mentality, we start to work against what God is wanting to do in us. So may there be joy and zeal for growing in holiness today because it is God who is working in us to accomplish his good purposes. And the second application is this. Let's go deeper into the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's get our eyes on him. 
Let's get our eyes and our hearts on him, beholding him in his grace and mercy and glory. Go deeper into your union with Jesus Christ. It's been such a fruitful last couple of days for my heart just to meditate more on my union with Christ. Go deeper. Let that wash over you and amaze you more. See what the Lord does in your life. Now, I said I wanted to make some brief comments on verses 25 through 28, okay? I want to make some brief comments here. Let me read those verses again. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I just want to make a few just very quick observations on these verses. First, we see a beautiful picture of Paul's humility. The one who is himself praying for the believers in Thessalonica, this leader in the church who has obviously great gifts, knew that he needed prayer and he wasn't afraid to ask for it. I would say that probably nearly everyone in this room is a leader in some capacity. Whether that's small group or children's ministry or in your family or in a discipleship relationship. May we be people who humbly and readily ask for prayer. Pull someone aside. I need, I need help right now. Secondly, let's be a welcoming and greeting church. Paul says, greet all the brothers. Greet everyone. Let's welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. No discrimination, no favoritism, no cliques. Let's be a welcoming kind of people. Paul does add with a holy kiss. I do not recommend us doing that. Uh, but what I would recommend is a more culturally acceptable form of greeting. A handshake will do. If you're close friends, how about a hug? And I'll leave it at that. Thirdly, Paul issues a charge that this letter is to be read to everyone. Be read to everyone, not just this select group of people. The entire congregation is meant to participate in hearing and responding to this letter. So let us continue to prioritize to hear, listen, and respond to God's word and the public reading of Scripture. And lastly, Paul ends this letter the same way he started it. He ends this letter with the peace of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace and grace. Back in verse 23, we see Paul praying to whom? The God of peace. The one who is himself peace and the one who has made peace through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to look at one more verse. Before I do that, I just I can I invite those who are serving the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward and get ready. We're going to take the Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes. But this is a word of instruction. This is a family meal for those who have trusted in Jesus. If you haven't yet done that, I would ask that you just not come forward, not as a way of 
pointing you out or judging you or anything like that. But I would ask you to consider Jesus Christ today. To turn from your sin and place your trust in a gracious and forgiving Savior who welcomes everyone who comes to him. I want us to look at one more verse. It's found in Colossians 1, 21 through 22. Colossians 1. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Through the substitutionary death of Jesus in our place, we have now been reconciled to God and will be presented as holy, blameless, and above reproach. Church, if I'm honest, those three words, those descriptions, they don't sound like me. They don't sound like a great description of me because when I look at my life and my struggles with sin, they don't sound like a good description of me. And though they aren't a good description of me naturally, they are a perfect description of Jesus. And because Jesus was presented to God as we are, with all of our sin and guilt and blameworthiness, we have now been presented to God as He is, holy, blameless, above reproach. So on the last day, the Father can rightly and justly say, Welcome home, my blameless child. Pastor once said, I've never forgotten this. The message of forgiveness, as precious and beautiful as it is, the message of forgiveness says, You are cleared of wrong, you may go. The message of reconciliation says, You may come. Come to the table with faith that you have been forgiven and reconciled to God. You are a child of of God. Come to the table with full assurance that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Because he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Brothers and sisters, you can come forward when you're ready.